It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 10th, the Quitting Kindergarten Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry eight, Oliver six, and Teddy three, and I'm living in Navarre, Florida. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, communication strategist, a contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, host of Slate's The Kids Are Asleep and mom to Naima, who is six, and we live in Los Angeles, California. Hey everyone, I'm Dan Kois. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, Harper, who's 13, and we live in Arlington, VA. Today on the show, we have a question about a kindergartner getting fed up with screen school. We'll also be discussing a wild question about a little one who told his mother that he wants to kill her. As always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. So, Jamila, will you start us off today? Do you have a triumph or a fail? Well, off the heels of last week's grand double triumph, I had to show up with a fail. I inadvertently fostered a cat this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So you've you've added a cat. No, no. I'm so interested in the inadvertent part. Please tell what happened. So five in the morning on Sunday, I get up, go to the bathroom. Naima's brother was visiting. They're both sleeping in her room. So I get up, go to the bathroom, and I see that the cat is on the floor behind me. I'm like, okay, cool. It's the cat. And then I'm like, that is not our cat. That is an entirely unfamiliar cat that is on the floor of my bathroom while I am peeing at five in the morning. The house is dark. There's nobody here to turn to. I'm all on my own with this. Ghost cat. I did go look at the sleeping children and try to decide, like, maybe I could just wake them up for some moral support and decided against it. I mean, I know exactly how the cat could have got in. Like, I've gotten a very bad habit of leaving the patio door open at times for a little air. And because I do let Candy Girl run around a bit outside. Anyway, so there's this cat in my bathroom. So I'm freaked the heck out like I'm just like what the fuck like I just I'm terrified and it turned out to be a Bengal so Bengals have these like tigerish markings almost like cheetah print I was like so now I'm facing cultural appropriation in real life I'm like is this what a white girl with braids feels like when she comes across a black girl with braids like terrified I'm like all this animal print in my closet I went to bed looking at animal print wallpaper and I wake up to an actual wild looking animal in my bathroom. And I don't Chicken's like this coming home one to roost. bit. Yes, the cat came home to roost. And so I really didn't know what to do. I looked to my cat for guidance and she's basically <laughs> hiding behind me. I noticed that she like was lingering around the children and I wanted to believe that she was trying to protect them. But I think honestly she was hiding behind them. And so I look at the cat, I say, shoo. She doesn't do anything. I'm like, I don't really know what to do. So I go back to bed. I'm like, I just have to deal with this in the morning. Like, I don't have the capacity. 
I did everything a human being could I possibly did do. Everything. Yeah, I thought about it. I I moped from room to room. I <laughs> shivered with fear and discomfort. And I was just like, you know, I I don't know. Like I, I just have to go to bed. You're terrified of the cat while awake, but okay to go yes. to sleep with the cat in your house. <laughs> Listen, I am not an early riser. I'm like five in the morning. I'm like, there's not enough fear in me to get this cat out of my house. Now, if it were a dog, if it were a mouse or a rat or something, I probably would have had a hard time going to sleep. But another cat, I was like, you know what? You're probably not going to kill me. It is what it is. So I go to sleep the next day. The kids get up and I'm like, hey, I'm not trying to scare you, but there's a, you know, I show them pictures. Like, so there's this other cat in here. Um, I'm not really sure what, how that's going to play out, but it's got to go. So Naima's brother, who's five, is afraid of Candy Girl. He, they've got a love-hate relationship. Like, part of him wants to be her best friend. And I see him, like, trying, like, he doesn't want us to see it, where he's, like, trying to pet her and, like, talk to her quietly when we're not looking, because he's, like, afraid to, like, we'll comment on it or something. And so, and he's insecure about, like, her liking him or not and halfway scared of her. So I'm like, oh my God, he's going to freak out because there's a stranger cat in here. Like it took three years for him to get used to this cat. And now there's a weirdo cat in here that looks like a tiger. And so he tells me this whole elaborate story about like, he knew there was another cat in here because Candy Girl had hopped into bed with them while they were asleep. And he saw the other cat walk by, you know? And I said, what did you do? And I didn't do it. You know, I didn't do anything. He tells the whole elaborate story. And then Naima and I are looking at each other like this didn't happen. And so then he gets upset. He's like, I hate it when people don't believe me. I said, but it's not what you said didn't happen. It wasn't true. He said, yes, but I don't like not being believed. So this is the whole thing. I tweet about it. And a woman who I know from the internet and have known for many years was like, oh my God, my husband and kids would love to have this cat. You know, why don't we come, but we can come foster it. You know, like while you figure out if it belongs to a neighbor or something, because I was like, okay, I'll put some signs up, take pictures. He was like, well, we'll take it off your hand. I'm like, great, because I don't have the bandwidth to, you know, I'm deal with cat. this right now. So I put some food and water out for the cat. It stayed largely away from us under my bed and under my dresser. At one point, Candy Girl kind of got a little bit too close and she kind of hissed at her, but it wasn't too aggressive. It was just more, it was more like, I'm afraid. So I saw that she ate, you know, some of the food and drank some of the water because it was and it had gotten pretty warm in the house. So I was like, okay, I have to make sure she doesn't die in here because that's going to be a whole other series of traumas to deal with. And so my friend and her husband come to get the cat and we can't find it. And so then I realized I'd left the patio door open and I found we had a little trouble coordinating <laughs> Because, you know, they were running errands Sunday. I'm running errands. You know, I dropped the kids off and I feel so bad. I'm like, they came all the way, you know, over in 20 minute drive. There's no cat. You know, I'm so sorry. They were cool about it. You know, if I see it again, let them know, whatever. Because it's a Bengal. So there's also a good chance that this cat belongs to somebody. And so before I could go to bed, a cat head pops up from the side of my bed (laughs) because it was still here. So even though the door had been open for hours, it could have left. It had chosen to remain. Yesterday morning, I'm again kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? She then peed and pooped in my bed. And that was the final straw for me, especially because I laid down before wrecking. I was like, what the hell? What? Why do I smell? What? What is that? Oh, my God, it's in the bed with me. Uh, the pee and the poop. And so I had to toss my mattress protector in my sheets. And I opened the window and she got out. And I do not miss her. I think she got out. She's still, she's in that closet with you right now, isn't she? She's probably in the closet with me right now. That is a remarkable story, Jamila. I 
but I simply do not understand why did you just not throw the cat out the door instantly and be like, I wash my With hands what? of you, cat. With my hands? Yeah. No. Like pick up the cat and throw <laughs> it out the door. Not. What if it killed me? I guess I, I guess I hadn't considered that appropriately. Like I right. can't. I, it's hard for me to even like, and I'll pick up my own cat. I pick up my cat all the time. But like the, the only way I would know to grab a stranger cat is like you grab it by the scruff, you know, so it can't like do stuff. And that's terrifying. It sucks to grab a cat by the scruff. If you've ever done it, it feels like it's trying to spank a child or something. It's like, it's how their mothers pick them up with their mouths. It's a cat. Right. Yeah. What if it had bugs on it or something? <laughs> But it was already in your house. <laughs> right. And I have to clean. And I've had to go to Home Depot and get cleaning stuff. And I'm renting a rug doctor from the grocery store. And I'm going to do some deep cleaning of my upholstery and my bed. It's a good thing you're moving out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good thing I'm moving out. Because that cat is definitely coming back. That cat seems like an agent of chaos. And it is returning as soon as possible to make she your life. She peed behind my home. bed. This is her house now. Like yep. That's right. <laughs> Honestly, I like I get the keys on the 15th and the plan is for us to like start staying there like on the 30th, you know, like once everything is out. And I'm like, um, we might just have to pop up an air mattress. So 100% chance that when you open the door to the new apartment and look inside, that cat is going to be sitting in the middle of the floor, like licking its paw and staring Isn't at there, you. Isn't there? The cat came back the very next day. <laughs> <laughs> Naima and her brother are going through a goosebump stage right now, and I feel yeah. like I'm living a goosebumps. Book. This is Act One of a goosebumps story for sure. Yeah. Ah, yes. uh, well, that's an incredible story. I don't have anything else to add. A remarkable cavalcade of fails. I love it. Great job. Thank you. So, Dan, triumph or fail for you? Well, I'm talking to you on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, the tail end of the very first day of school here in Arlington. It's been a real roller coaster, but I feel very comfortable in saying that overall it was a gigantic fail in every way. <laughs> so the kids, the kids got up early. Harper had to wake me up because my alarm was beeping, but it did not, it had not woken me up. <laughs> so like I woke up to Harper poking me, being like, Dad, Dad. So they both got in front of their computers. We took adorable photos of them. And within an hour of school starting, we had received emails from both of their schools, plus the school district, like the whole school district, all of those emails basically saying, yes, we know everything is fucked. We're working on it. Sorry. And so they had different experiences. Harper got online right away. I think because she was early being Harper. She, I think she got online before almost everyone else did. So she did not face any capacity issues when she was trying to get online. Then there were some glitches for her mid-morning because Canvas just stopped working for a while, but eventually she got back in and there was maybe only half an hour where she was supposed to be in class and she couldn't be in that class. Lyra, on the other hand, had these long delays on Canvas and on Microsoft Teams, I think probably because the high schoolers started last. So I think Canvas was already stressed by the middle schoolers and elementary schoolers. <laughs> who were already on, but she finally got into her first and second period classes. But then after lunch, lunch incidentally is at the famously midday time of 1040 AM. Oh, I love the 1040 lunches. Yeah. It's classic. The best thing. Uh, well, they have home. to do that, of course, because yeah. otherwise all those kids would be in the cafeteria at the same time yeah. during <laughs> online school. 
But anyway, so after lunch, just everything stopped working completely. Like her school computer stopped talking to the internet. It wasn't even that you couldn't log in. It was that it just stopped talking to the internet completely. Something about the VPN that Arlington schools use was clearly broken. And then we put her on our home computer and then she couldn't get into her English class that we'd written down on the schedule. Then we figured out that we had written her schedule down wrong. Actually, she was supposed to be in chemistry. So eventually she made her way to chemistry, but there was like a solid hour of fighting with websites and global connect and, and emailing teachers. And then we called the school's tech support line. If you go to any APS school this afternoon online, there's a big thing on the top. That's like, call this number. And then you call that number and it's like, we are unable to take your call right now. Leave (laughs) us a message. And Lyra left a hilarious message that was just like, I can't get in. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) So that was day one. Day one. Lots of errors, errors by us and errors by the school district and errors by probably by like Canvas programmers 10 years ago or whatever, whenever they initially created that software. We were not always at our best through this process. There was some snapping Lyra was understandably angry with us for writing everything down wrong and causing her to miss half a class. We were angry with everyone and each other. The only good thing about the whole process was that Lyra started out the day very anxious about missing class. When she was a few minutes late for her first period class, she was like, what if I'm the only one? I I don't like this. It makes me very nervous. And by the end of the day, she'd been so beaten down by the process that all her anxiety had been replaced by just like a glum knowledge that this is how it was going to be forever. So I thought that that was good. It was like a immersion therapy. Like, oh, you want to be yes. scared of being late? You'll just be late for everything. You'll be late for <laughs> the rest, for the the rest of school. So anyway, we got 174 more chances to get it right. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> everything's going to go great tomorrow, but I'll report back <laughs> next week. I can't. Can you imagine what it feels like to be a high school teacher having to interact with high school kids, possibly in earshot of their parents? Like, I know most kids are wearing headphones, especially at that age, but like, man, I just, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about like teachers and the idea that they have an audience now. And for some, that's really great there. You know what I mean? Like there are going to be some teachers who need to be overheard by somebody's mama or, or dad or grandma, like while they're being super rude or nasty to children. And so they can be, you know, corrected or removed, but still the performance anxiety I would have. I think you're right that there's going to be like a wave of stories any day now about parents who overheard a teacher say something in class totally misconstrued it and immediately sought to get that teacher fired. Like that's, that's definitely going to happen. Right. Or what about yeah. just everything being online and being able to be recorded and reproduced and screenshots and video shots and of everything. Every lesson is supposedly recorded and archived right. for the kids. So right. nothing, nothing's lost now. Whatever nothing's you say in class, now. it's there forever. Sounds terrible. Well, I'm sorry your kids had a terrible first day, but at least you were home with them because I think like a lot of those things sound like things that they could have come home and had happen. Like I showed up at the wrong class. I didn't have the wrong the right schedule. You know, in real life, if you're having a problem, the whole world doesn't just buffer around you for 45 minutes because of connectivity issues. <laughs> Eventually, someone talks to you and tells you what to do. That That's was not true. an option here. I was glad that I, I took the morning off from work to like try and help. And, and sometimes I was helpful and sometimes I'm sure my kids were like, Jesus, just go to work. You're not helping me. But uh, we'll see. I'm taking tomorrow morning off too. 
We'll see how it goes. Another day. Yep. I am going to complete the triple fail. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Triple fail week. We um, headed to Northern Alabama this weekend. Navarre was hosting the world record setting Trump boat parade. Oh, was that one in Navarre? Yeah. Did they stop at Crab Island? Yes, they did the entire sound. We, unlike the one in Texas, had no boat sink. So that's... bonus i don't know everyone was apparently safe but we decided we just didn't really need to be our town has one road and just yes didn't need to be here for that so headed up into the mountains and um it was nice to like get away we did a bunch of hiking with the kids which they like but we haven't really taken a long other than my um you know my attempt at starting a drive last week which of course we ended up not (laughs) going because i misscheduled the thing so we were back in the car which was great had this whole great weekend of hiking and being in Birmingham and just around there. It was just really, it was a really great weekend. And then we were headed back and I guess we haven't stopped at like a, a rest stop to do anything in a long time. So we stopped because everyone needed to pee. And I guess we've just been like spent the whole weekend kind of peeing in the woods because as soon as we hop out of the car, we've got the kids all masked up. We're going to like walk to the bathroom. Teddy just like drops his pants, penis <laughs> out walking down the sidewalk and starts peeing. And Jeff is like holding the other kids. And I'm like, what are you doing? And to make things crazier, he wanted to drive home in his bathing suit. And I was like, okay, cool. So he's like in his bathing suit, like just peeing in the middle of this thing. And there's people and there's all these math. I just like pick him up. I'm like, put your penis away. And just like ran it's to the like, bathroom. Like picking up a cherub fountain. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even... Run, yeah. I. I didn't even know what to do. Jeff says I screamed at him, like, what is your child doing? Because in general, when penises are involved, I sort of feel like the gift of having three boys should be that this is not my problem, right? Like, like I don't have one of these. This has nothing to do with me. But he had the other kids, so I, like, grabbed this child, and he's like, I need to pee. I need to pee now. And I'm like, we use the bathroom. And he's like, we haven't used the bathroom all weekend. And I'm <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, like he was really observing social distancing yes, and safety yes, protocols <laughs> really well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we great job, Teddy. Half a dozen people at the Alabama rest stop. Our penis had a lovely conversation about it in the women's restroom. <laughs> I agree with Dan, and it was definitely safer for him to just pee right then and there than to have to go in the bathroom in the rest stop. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. That's probably safer. But then we should have pulled off like on the side of the road. <laughs> now you know that's a great fail. But I'm still on Team Teddy here. I think Teddy did the exact definitely right thing. Team Teddy. Yeah, the virus <laughs> strikes again. It's always right. Sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> well, I didn't. It's my like I said. It's my fail. Yeah. <laughs> I failed one way. No matter how how this uh, cookie crumbles, I have failed. Well, all right. Before we move on, let's do the business. Tune in tonight, Thursday, September 10th, to Jamila's Slate Live show, The Kids Are Asleep. She'll be joined by academic, author, activist, and television personality, Mark Lamont Hill. It'll be fun. Don't miss it. Tune in at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Slate's YouTube or Facebook page. As always, we'll put the links on the show page. If you haven't checked out previous episodes, you can also do that on Slate's YouTube page, and you definitely don't want to miss these sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about all our parenting content, including care and feeding, mom and dad are fighting, and much more. Plus, it's a fun personal email from Dan directly to your inbox. So sign up at slate.com slash parenting mail. Want even more parenting advice? Join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active and it's moderated, so it doesn't get too out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. In Slate Plus, we'll be reminiscing about our favorite kids' cartoons. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. 
I deeply respect both of your decisions. Yet also, we bought a bunch of Looney Tunes DVDs for our kids, and they're fucking hilarious. They remain so unbelievably funny as like little tiny, insanely ultra violent, weird works of American art. I love them so much. To hear segments like that and get ad free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year, and it's a great way to support all of your favorite Slate podcasts, and you won't hit a paywall on the site, so you can keep up with all of Slate's journalism. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's get into our first listener question. It's being read by the wonderful Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, my daughter quit kindergarten two times in the first hour today. I look at the grid of all the other children sitting through class, and I don't know how to get her not to hate it. She leaves, comes back to do the activity, and immediately leaves. She's doing the kid equivalent of just checking off the boxes. Any advice? Oh, is online school frustrating? (laughs) Are you telling me that it's awful to be five years old, communicating with your teacher and your friends who you might not know at all because it's your first year of real school via a computer? (laughs) This very well could be a question from a parent whose child went back to school. A lot of kids don't like school. School is not always great. And I think that we want our kids to enjoy school as much as possible. We want them to be actively engaged and to participate and learn all that they can and to be happy and and safe and all that good stuff. We can ensure that they like school. And at kindergarten, I don't want to say now it's just time to accept defeat. This kid hates school and it is what it is, you know, just swallow that and move on. But I also don't want you to be so overly consumed with the possibility that one, hating Zoom kindergarten after a few days is a sign that the child is going to hate school forever. Or two, that your child might just not like school when they do go back to normal or when they have had a full year of Zoom kindergarten, it could just be that school's not their thing. And maybe it's the school that's not a good fit, or maybe it's only been just a couple of days. But I don't think that the answer for getting her to not hate something that is so new to society at large, Zoom kindergarten, it's the word, say it out loud. It sounds like an SNL joke. Like, let's do a Zoom conference call, but with kindergartners instead of adults except for it's our reality all over the the world (laughs) right now. It sucks, and that's okay that your child knows it sucks, because it does suck. Describing it as an SNL sketch is so on. I even know exactly when in the show it would run. (laughs) It would be at like 12.35 after Weekend Update, and it would be in like the dregs of the show right before (laughs) the really crazy sketch right before 12.50. I completely agree. It is far too early for you to make any big assumptions based on your child's totally normal behavior, which I guarantee you is being shared by almost every other kid in that kindergarten class. 
So I have a few questions for you, the parent, as you are trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I make this more palatable and more tolerable for my child? The first is, how much kindergarten is your school district asking your daughter to do? Are they truly attempting to do a full day of Zoom? Or is this a case where they're easing them in with a couple of hours and then asking them to do maybe more as the year goes on? If it's the former, if they're really asking your kids to do a full day, well, that's crazy. And kids aren't set to do that. And and I think a lot of schools have come to that realization pretty quickly. And if there's a way that you can facilitate, either by talking to a teacher, by talking to the administrator, and by rejiggering your schedule or the schedule of another adult in your home, if you can make it so that those days are shorter, at least at the beginning, I think that would be really beneficial to everyone. And that might include simply telling the child's teacher, if, the, if that child's teacher is, is hamstrung by various district requirements, hey, she's just going to be in for the first couple of hours each day for the first few weeks so that we don't overload her. Even if the administrators at the school would be likely to say, oh, but of course you couldn't do that, the teacher will be secretly grateful, I assure you, that you're doing such a thing. Another question I'd ask you is how was your child thinking about school before all this began? And what kinds of conversations did you have with her before everything began about what this would be like? And can you have with her now about ways that this can be as interesting and as fun as possible? That might mean you or another adult in the home getting more involved in this school experience than you might want to be in the first couple of days. But it also means setting her expectations at a place where they are more likely to mean that those expectations are going to be met as opposed to her being disappointed by the experience. And the third thing I'd ask is how much were you counting on this school experience to be magical and how much are you letting your disappointment and how unmagical it is affect your response to your kid's school? Did she say, I quit kindergarten and storm off in a huff? Or is it just that you see her checking in at the computer doing a few things, then wandering away and doing other stuff, and then coming back to the computer and checking in with a few things and then leaving. If that's what's happening, I would actually define that as basically about as good as a kindergarten experience on Zoom could be, right? If your child is doing a few things willingly, moving away to investigate the rest of the world, and then coming back, like she's actually doing pretty well. And I would urge you to not let your despair, your adult despair, which we all share at the very idea of Zoom kindergarten, the stupid SNL sketch of an idea, affect how you view her actual experience, which may be at least a little bit better than you think it is. But Elizabeth, what do you think? So Dan, I mostly agree with you that I thought that in general, I was kind of like, okay, what's wrong with this? Like, this is exactly kind of how my kindergarten homeschool looks, particularly in the younger ages. Like, they come up, engage with me a little bit, and then they're off doing something else, like sitting and doing an activity or like really being focused. So unless the teacher has a problem with what's happening, and Dan gave a lot of good suggestions for that, I guess, is it that bad that they're just phoning it in? And so much of this is tied up in like what a kindergarten experience is. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have to have an entirely different set of expectations. Like this is not in-person kindergarten. This is not a normal kindergarten that the rest of us, you know, 
grew up with and knew. And so therefore, your expectations just have to be different. Everyone is literally phoning it in. We're literally phoning it in. So if your daughter's phoning it in, great. (laughs) (laughs) She's check meeting the box. Again, I, I feel like I always say you can only control your own behavior. So you have the choice basically as the parent to say like, I don't like what this looks like. I want to do something else. And then what is that something else? Is it pulling them and homeschooling them? Is it talking to the teacher and saying, I'm only going, you know, a few hours in most states, kindergarten is not compulsory. So I would assume that particularly over Zoom, that is something that you can work out with the teacher. If though what you need is, you know, this sort of like Zoom babysitting situation and you want her just to phone it in and they're not causing problems around the house, I actually don't see anything wrong with this. Like, yes, it sucks. Um, This whole year sucks. Like nothing is the same for anyone, but we have to just understand that and move forward and not try to make it look like what it looked like pre-COVID. So everything sucks right now. The only other thing I would add is you may already be doing this. And if so, that's great. But I do think it's worth your while to think about if there are specific things my child is missing from this experience, whether they're social interactions or interactions directly with uh, in some kind of teaching environment. I hope you are exploring other ways that you or other people can provide those things, whether it's by you reinforcing some of the stuff that's happening in kindergarten with direct one-to-one interaction after the school day's over, uh, whether it's arranging some kind of safe feeling play experience with your child and other children, whether that's in person or on FaceTime or whatever, you know, these are all things that you can do to maybe make your child a little bit happier, but also to assuage your feelings about the things that your child is missing. And I don't mean that in a, dismissive way, I think it's useful to assuage your feelings at a time like this when we're all feeling so bummed and pissed about what school looks like. Assuaging those feelings is a real benefit, and it probably has a side benefit of helping our children as well. I wonder, too, if she can move some of the things that she's running off to do into the view of the camera to make it more like kindergarten feeling. So having like some art supplies ready or some other things like a kindergarten classroom would have such that when her daughter does move away, the things to engage with are right there so that she's still there, maybe hearing what's happening or, you know, just being kind of in view of the camera. Because I mean, kindergarten classrooms are very flexible in that sense, in that they're switching activities frequently. And there's a variety of things you could have right there, puzzles, building blocks, whatever your child likes to play with that you could rotate through that space, just to make that feel more like that. But Dan, I agree, like, I think it's our job as parents to make up for what is missing in the same way that like when they're at school all day and they come home, we provide things that feel kind of more homey and things that are more that like one-on-one attention and checking in about our day. So can we provide anything now, even if it's like, hey, my kid just has a lot of energy and what I need to do sometime in the day is make sure we're getting outside for a walk or going to do this. And that's why she's running around, like figuring that out. But again, it's still, it's so early in the year. Like you're going to have to settle into a schedule that works for your child and for you and for your child's teacher. So I think, you know, as long as you're checking in with everybody and making a schedule that at the end of the day works for you and works for your child, then that is kind of the best that you can do. And I think making the best of this situation. Don't panic. Don't panic. You're not alone. I think that's the other thing. Even if you don't hear other people expressing it, like everyone kind of feels like they're phoning it in because as Dan said, they literally are. 
All right, listener, thank you so much for your question. If you have a question for us, send it in. Email us at slate.com or do what this parent did and post it on our Slate Parenting Facebook group. On to the second question. It's once again being read by Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, in the last three weeks, my husband has spent 16 days in the hospital. We have three small children, ages seven, five, and three. Today, I caught my three-year-old whispering to my five-year-old that he wanted to kill mommy. So he put dish soap and oil on the kitchen floor so I would fall and hit my head. He wants me to be in the hospital so that daddy will stay home with him. In a way, I think it may be his way of sharing how much he misses having his daddy at home, but I'm also worried because he acted on his impulse. Do you think this is learned behavior, mimicking his brothers who have done similar things or independent reason for concern? First of all, it is extremely normal and non-psychotic for three-year-olds to say outrageous things, including wishing their parents dead. It's a little bit more unusual for them to act on it, but given the cartoony nature of his action, It seems to me like exactly what a three-year-old would come up with, maybe with some assistance from like watching a bunch of Looney Tunes cartoons. So I mean, I might recommend that you remove all Acme anvils from your home, but in general, I think that you do not need to worry either that your child is a psycho or that they might succeed in killing you somewhere down the road. I think that's extremely unlikely. And I know that you, the letter writer, have experience with this with older children, as almost everyone who's ever had a child has. You have some experience with your child saying something that if an adult said it would definitely be like that person would be committed or charged with a felony. But when kids say it, it's simply a matter of impulse control and a lack of any filter between their minds and their mouths. And the fact that they haven't yet soaked up different ideas about what is appropriate or inappropriate to say. I think it's worth it to talk to this child a little bit about the things that we say and do and how it's important to be safe because you don't want the people you love to get hurt, you know, no matter what crazy plans you might have hatched uh, involving me or your father. But I also think you don't need to worry that this represents some looming problem you're going to have to deal with down the road. I agree. I think that you won't forget that this happened. So if this is a clue or an early sign of some terrible antisocial behavior, you won't. It is well documented. I don't think that you will fail to think back to that incident if you have to sit with a therapist or someone at some point and go through uh, the signs that something might not be quite right with your little one. That said, at three years old, you know, I am inclined to agree with Dan that no, this isn't necessarily a sign of some grave trouble, but an indication that, like you said, your child deeply misses his father and would like to switch the two of you out. And so he's come to figure that if you care for him while his father is sick, then it stands to reason that if you get sick, you'll go away and his father will have to care for him. Right. That's extremely three-year-old logic. Well, only one person can be in the hospital at once. Right. And so with that, I think that the biggest thing that you need to emphasize is just the potential for consequences of actions like this. So 
that one, your logic was incorrect. And here's why. No, it, it won't be the case that you just get daddy home. In fact, and there are situations where kids have to be taken care of by someone else because both of their parents are unavailable. So if daddy is sick, the last thing you want to do is make it so that mommy can't be here to love and, and take care of you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really it, that you need to let him know that this is a, a very dangerous thing that he did that could have hurt somebody badly. And if it weren't such a cartoonish type of prank, you know, I mean, because it's such a cartoonish type of prank, just imagine that he tried to test it out on himself or, you know, that in the process of trying to do this, that he'd really done something that hurt him very badly or one of his siblings. Yeah, I don't even know that you need to like focus on the Well, if we're both in the hospital, who knows what'll happen? I also think it's totally possible this kid hasn't even thought through the consequences as far as, oh, that would hurt my mommy. If that mm-hmm. actually happened, my mommy right. would be hurt. And and that expression this causes someone to be hurt is very potent for three-year-olds. And that consequence in and of itself might be enough to sort of drive the message home. And it might be a connection he simply hasn't even made at this point. We had a very similar thing happen that actually ends up kind of being one of the things that leads to our panda's diagnosis in Henry. I have this very clear memory of we were in the car visiting my in-laws in Erie, Pennsylvania, and Henry became obsessed with this idea of I, I had done something that had upset him, of, obsessed with the idea of me dying so he could get a new mom. Mm. Like you said, it was incredibly hurtful at the time. It is something I still like think about and carry around because it was the same sort of thing. He felt like, well, if I could just get out of the picture, that someone else would let him do this thing that he wanted. And that did lead to therapy, which eventually led to this pandas diagnosis. And I'm not suggesting in any way that this child has pandas. There were a bunch of other symptoms at the time that we had also missed. But this realization that he was, I mean, he was about three, doing this A, to get a reaction because he knew that talking about death got a reaction, but he didn't really understand what that meant. He knew that when someone died, they weren't there. But one of the first things in family therapy, because from this, this behavior continued, of course. And I would say that's the other thing to look for. Like, is this a one-off? He also has older brothers. Like, Teddy gets looped into things like this all the time that his brothers think are funny, that he then is doing but doesn't really understand. But at the time, Henry became very obsessed with this idea and would talk about it a lot about the idea of me dying and leaving and being replaced. And in family therapy, one of the things that we talked about was like the idea that me dying meant I would be gone, not just replaced with someone else, not getting a new mom, like kind of the trauma. And a therapist guided us through that so that we didn't traumatize him more. But that, even with the issues he has with emotional regulation, was something he stopped doing because I don't think that was ever the intent. The intent was, I feel very angry, or in this case, like, I feel like I don't want mom here. I want dad back, right? So I want to do something to force this change. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it was that he didn't like whatever rule or regulation I was enforcing. So if I can just get her out of the picture, I won't have this anymore. But once he was sort of walked through the idea that, like, death is fine. And that there would be all these other, you know, changes that is then something he no longer really played with. And again, I don't know that that is the kind of conversation. And in the Facebook post, she does go on to say that her, you know, she's spoken to her children's therapist. So I think that's a good step. 
the family therapy was also good for me to understand that this was really normal and also that this wasn't something they were saying that was meaningful because I think that this is something like Henry has no memory now that he said these things or did these things. And I always feel like I'm the one who lives with the burden of like the clear memory of him saying that he wanted me dead so he could replace me. And so therapy not only helped us how to deal with him, but also the personal feelings that that brought for me as like the mom in this situation. But again, I will tell you that at that family therapy, we were very much encouraged that like, this is a very normal thing, especially for this age that really can't understand what death means. They know it's something that's talked about. It's something like you said, they see in cartoons. I know she talks about having a therapist. I would say lean into that or lean into to family therapy to address this issue, probably with everybody. I don't know. My boys are the same age and things are just, if we deal with it with just one, it's kind of like a virus we keep sharing. It's like everybody kind of needs to have it addressed and how we're going to handle this as a family. I think one thing you mentioned in particular that's really uh, important that bears repeating is like, the mother taking the time to think about how this makes her feel and that a therapy process should address that for her as well and perhaps her husband. So it's not just about, you know, what the kids want or, you know, he's doing this because he misses his daddy. It's also like, yeah, you're the person who, you know, you love and you care for this child and he's described you as disposable, essentially. So even though you know that he doesn't understand the permanency of death, or exactly what he was uh, asking for at all, that it still may feel really bad to know that in a moment where you're doing the work of two, you have to hear someone say something like that about you. My daughter told me that she went to kill me last week over an LOL surprise doll. It didn't feel good to hear it. I understand that she's still working on impulse control. So while she is old enough to understand that death is serious and permanent and to have grieved before, she also doesn't know how to not blurt out something like that that she doesn't really mean. So... I don't like hearing it, but over time, you will learn to not internalize your child's devastating threats against your life in the same way. But that takes time. (laughs) You have to get used to being abused in that way by someone you love who's so small and cute. There are a lot of great children's books, too, that deal with emotional language. And I think some of that might come into play here because it seems like the three-year-old is using the language that they know or, you know, something that they feel like they can control to explain a situation. Um, And I have found, like, children's books to just be a great way that you can read it and give them that language. I know I've mentioned before um, The Rabbit Listened, and I think that's a great one for here because it really talks about, like, this is that impulse to do something else bad to change things, but there are all these other ways to react. And also it's a good reminder to the parent who's reading it that like some of your job as the parent is just to listen and absorb some of that. And Jamila, like you said, just learning to absorb it and deal with it yourself and not necessarily project, you know, what it actually means or what it means to you onto your kids. Right. You don't have to bounce that back onto them. They didn't deliver it with intent and they don't need to know necessarily the way that it makes you feel as much as as that's often my impulse when someone says something horrible to me listener i'm really sorry that this is all happening to your family and i'm sorry that your husband has been in the hospital so much and i hope that in the time since you posted this on facebook things have gotten better and yeah i think family therapy for everyone and talking through what's going on with your family and the the difficulties with having a partner struggling with their health is well worth your time dan i agree with that so much. And I also, I wanted to add one more thing just to say that I think it's okay for the 
listener to tell her kids or tell like how that makes her feel too, even though we're like not bouncing it back is very different than saying like the things that you're saying are hurtful, but I still love you. And I think that's such a good message in these to say like your, your words still have meaning, especially in this time with your family. Like Dan said, I think there's a lot of emotional language and talking that needs to be happening about how everybody feels. So we wish you the best of luck. Um, We hope this helps. And if you want us to help you send in your question or conundrum to momanddad at slate.com. Let's move on to recommendations. Dan, what do you have for us this week? I have a classic comic book series, uh, which is being reissued in America. It's been hard to find in a lot of ways for many years. It is Asterix, the classic French comic book series about Galois soldiers in the Middle Ages and their adventures all across Europe. The whole series is being republished by an American publisher called Paper Cuts in brand new translations that are meant to be a little bit more Americanized and a little bit more modern, not ostentatiously modern, but a little bit more modern than the translations that have been being used for decades now, the original translations that were done when this series was first published in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The books are still totally silly and weird. If you read them when you were a kid, I think you will really enjoy revisiting them. If you only sort of vaguely know about them because someone mentioned them in French class or you had a friend who knew them, I think you might enjoy learning about them. And I think they're really great for kids. They're really funny. They're very odd. A surprisingly good if Still somewhat an incomplete introduction to uh, Middle Age European history and the Gallic Wars. They're really fun books, and I recommend them. That's all these different Asterix volumes. We'll post a link in the show notes. That sounds great. Jamila, how about you? I am recommending something that is very, very, very clearly for when the kids are asleep. <laughs> As someone who allows her child to watch some, you know, television that's a little bit above what would be considered age appropriate, under no circumstances would I let my child watch this show. So I'm giving you that caveat, perhaps a teenager. I don't even know that I'd feel comfortable watching this with a teenager. It's called Pea Valley. It's a show on stars. It is about a strip club in a very small town in the Black South called Chuscaloosa. And think of like showgirls campiness meets hustle and flow with a little bit of moonlight dashed in there. It is over the top. The first few episodes, I'm not going to admit, I was a little bit like, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I love uh, the creator and, and lead the showrunner, Katori Hall. She's a dope playwright. Um, There's a lot of Howard folks, my alma mater, Howard University folks behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And it, again, the first few episodes, I was like, this is a lot. I don't know. And I'm so in love with it. And I think that like, there's a relationship. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a relationship on this show that if it were taking place, if these two characters were on a show that had white leads or that was maybe on HBO or Showtime, they'd be on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. It's a relationship between a young cis man and a, I'm not sure if she's a trans woman or a gender nonconforming person, but it is unlike anything I've ever seen on television. And it is a good show. There's mystery and sex and pretty people and music and race stuff and gender stuff. I mean, there's just so much to it. It's called P Valley. The P stands for pussy. So be clear, this is an adult show. It takes place in a strip club. 
It's not for your children. It's not for the squeamish, but it's a really great show. And it comes on Sunday Nights of Stars. The season finale went live yesterday. I haven't seen it yet, but this show is everything. And if you are looking for a juicy escapist program to watch, I recommend it highly. P-Valley on Stars. I did not know that was Katori Hall who did that. She's a really good writer. Yeah. For this to be her first big television project, I don't know that this is what, and it's based on a play that she wrote. So I don't know that folks would have expected this to be it, but like a few episodes in, you really get it. Like it really comes together nicely and it is something else. I'm really glad that you're watching the show, which takes place in the strip club where Elizabeth took her kids for geocaching. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's the exactly. same one. <laughs> All full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Small town, deep south. That's what I'm yep. saying. Yes. I'm recommending something for your around eight years old to do in the car when when you are not geocaching at the strip club. I've been really good about things for the for the little ones to do. But when we were headed out on this road trip, I was thinking like, what do I really have for him to do in the car? He mostly wants to play Legos in his free time. But um, I pulled out a book from Usborne that I had picked up at a like little bookstore pre-COVID days called Write and Draw Your Own Comics. And it's part of an entire series of Write and Draw. There's like fairy tale stories, Write and Draw Your Own Play, all kinds of stuff. This was amazing. Not only did I trick him into handwriting and practicing his writing, it kind of guides you along how to draw your own comics and it's suggesting stuff. There's plenty of blank comics in the back as well for him to draw. But he was excited to draw them and then share them with us. We heard ad nauseum about them on our hike. But it's exciting to see him doing something like this in the car kind of without uh, without our help and not watching TV. So that was great. And I will definitely be pulling that out at the homeschool table as well to uh, <laughs> keep him writing and entertained. So that is Write and Draw Your Own Comics from Usborne Books. All right. So that's our show. One more time. If you have a question, email us at momanddad at slate.com or post it to the Slate Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Dan Coyce, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Hi, this is Charles Duhigg from the podcast How To. And so far, the new school year is off to a kind of rocky start in the Duhigg household. Meet my two sons. Do you, like, sometimes do other things on your computer besides class? Minecraft. <laughs> you do Minecraft when you're supposed to be doing class? <laughs> this is a back-to-school season unlike any other. So we made a special three-part series named Cheat Sheet to provide the answers you need. So do your homework and look for How To with Charles Duhigg wherever you listen. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.